Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Would American workers want in dollars to start a new job? Latest from the UAW in a possible strike. And today on the show, Senator Sherrod Brown, the food and commercial workers, and what the NLRB did for workers last month. Welcome to the Friday, September 8th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify and Pandora. Boy, we have a jam-packed show today. We're going to start things off with Senator Sherrod Brown. We should uh, be getting a call from him momentarily from Washington. And he's pretty happy about the Biden administration. And he celebrated with them recently, along with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, on the announcement of the initial list of drugs that will be subject to price negotiations and All this has to do with policy, the Inflation Reduction Act. And there's about 10 drugs that are going to be lower in price because of that good policy. Also, helping teachers cover out-of-pocket classroom expenses. There's a lot of teachers using their own money because schools are strapped. So here's what Senator Brown would like to do. The current deduction for teachers according to the IRS, is like $250, which is much less than what teachers spend. So Senator Brown would like to raise that to $1,000. So he'll talk about uh, both of those things. Second guest on the show is Adamola Oyefesco. I hope I'm uh, pronouncing that correctly. And Adamola is with the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union. And uh, he serves as international vice president and director of the union's cannabis division and their legislative and political action department. This guy is a fighter in his role. He advances the union's legislative priorities, works with elected officials and candidates at every level of government to support the issues that matters most to the UFCW. And we're talking a union with 1.3 million members. Under his direction, listen to this, his department won 67%, 67% of all the races targeted last year. During the pandemic, his department helped create the Farm and Food Worker Relief Grant Program to help members with COVID health and safety costs and supported the American Rescue Plan, which protects the retirement benefits of workers and retirees in multi-employer pension plans. We'll talk about all of that and also organizing in the cannabis industry, which is growing, no pun intended, by leaps and bounds, projected global legal marijuana market for 2025, $145.4 billion. Job growth, 21% a year. So they're going to tackle that. Andrew Strom will be joining us as our third guest on the show today. Labor union attorney contributor to the On Labor blog. And I'll tell you, last month, the month of August, 
was really a big game changer for workers. The most significant decision out of the National Labor Relations Board, and he covers the NLRB so well. It was a case called Semex. In that case, the Labor Board held that if an employer commits unfair labor practices in the run-up to an election, the NLRB will order the employer to bargain with the union even if the union loses the election. This is as long as the union had a majority of workers signing up before the election. This is monumental. Monumental. There's uh, several other decisions that overruled Trump board decisions. Two decisions tighten the standards for employers to make changes in terms and conditions without bargaining with the workers' union. Another decision protecting workers who act in support of others who are not themselves protected by the National Labor Relations Act. So depending on time, we'll cover as much as we can with uh, Andrew Strom, who's actually filling in for Joyce Goldstein. Joyce needed a couple of months off, so she should be back with us in October, if not November. Unions in the news making news. This Labor Update brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. The wage floor for American workers climbed to a record high close of $79,000 a year. This according to a Federal Reserve Bank of New Jersey survey recently released, which also found pay demands among women are rising and rising twice as fast for men, compared to men, I should say. The average reservation wage, the lowest annual pay that workers would accept to take a new job. Guess what that is? It's pretty significant. It's actually $78,645, which is up from about seventy-two nine a year earlier, and 69000 in July of 2021. Pay expectations among women in the labor force rose 11% in the last year. Still, there's substantial gender gap when it comes to what is an acceptable salary. For men, the average reservation wage, 91000 For women, it was 25000 lower than that. Workers with a college degree, they now expect $98,600 a year to accept a new job. That's compared to an average of 63300 for those that do not have a college degree. Pretty interesting stuff there. The head of the United Auto Workers warned this week that the union plans to go on strike against any Detroit automaker that has not reached a new agreement by the time contracts expire. The deadline is next Thursday, September 14th. Nothing really new there, but Sean Fain showed a different side of himself this week. In an interview, he left open the possibility of avoiding a strike. He acknowledged more explicitly than he has before that the union will have to give up some of its demands to reach agreements. And this is what he said. There's a lot of back and forth in bargaining. And naturally, when you go into bargaining, you don't always get what you want. Our workers, well, they have high expectations. We made a lot of sacrifices going back to the economic recession, going back to uh, like 2008. Well, here's their demands. They're pretty lofty. You got you to gotta reach for the uh, 
stars and maybe you'll get the moon, right? The union's demands include 46% across the board pay raises, a 32-hour week with 40 hours of pay, restoration of traditional pensions for new hires, and union representation for workers at new battery plants. So we'll see what happens here. All right, let's go to uh, line number one from Washington right now. One of our longtime supporters and contributors to the show, that would be Senator Sherrod Brown. He served as a congressman and for many years as a senator, and he's still fighting for workers every day. And one of the big issues has been the price of prescription drugs. Senator, welcome back to uh, America's Workforce. And I'll tell you, this uh, Inflation Reduction Act, one of the components was to lower the cost of prescription drugs and uh Maybe you can pick it up from there because uh, seniors have been getting ripped off on this for years, haven't they? Well, seniors and working people generally, yeah. You remember Flash? One of the when we began doing the show together, which was many years ago, one of the things I was doing was um, I worked with seniors in Lorain County and Medina County, and we took bus trips to Canada like two or three times a year, uh, and went across the, we raised that time with pharmacists and doctors, and we went across the river um, from Detroit to Windsor, and they could, they paid half as much, same drug, same dosage, same name, um, because the Canadians do it right. And ever since then, we fought to do what finally we were able to do in standing up and fighting the drug companies. That is, the cost of insulin is now capped at $35 a month, and you, you know how many people have diabetes in this country and in this state, in Northeast Ohio. Um, the out-of-pocket cost per senior for anybody per year for drugs is $2,000. Nobody can spend more than that, no matter how much the drug companies uh, charge and rip us off. And then we scheduled 10 commonly used drugs and the government will negotiate prices with the drug companies directly. That's essentially what Canada does. They negotiate the price and then they're sort of a mass buyer that way. And that's, that's essentially how it will work here. So uh, government's involved in a really good way. We stood up to the drug companies and consumers win. And the drug companies are still fighting. I know they're taking the taking this to court. Yeah, but... they they fought. You know, yeah, they went they went to court immediately. They knew we were going to do this. Uh-huh. And when the administration issued it, the, the list of drugs, the drug companies went to court, and so did a bunch of business front groups for the drug companies. And it's just you know they they the drug companies are making during the pandemic. Drug companies raised their prices, like oil companies, like the meatpacking industry, like transportation companies. They raised their prices way beyond what their input costs increased during the pandemic. And that's a big driver in inflation. It's a lot more that than what some people say it's government spending. Well, government spending was done right in this because we invested in infrastructure. We got the chips plan in central Ohio. We're doing a lot of things that matter to people. In one year, this is courtesy of the Alliance for Retired Americans. In one year, taxpayers spent over $50 billion, 20% of the total Part D gross covered prescription drug costs on just these 10 drugs that you're talking about that uh, the administration yeah. announced. It's just amazing. Just amazing. Uh, here's what yeah, I don't understand, that, Senator. That yep. Yeah. Here's what I don't understand. Why is it that the VA, a government agency, is allowed to negotiate prescription drugs and Medicare has not had that opportunity? I, I, I don't understand that equation. Do you? Well, you, 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 Flash, you do understand because the, the VA did it and then the drug companies realized how bad it was for them. And they use their lobbying power. I mean, look at the pattern here. You've covered a lot on this show about the railroads, the railroads and the banks 
have been in Wall Street and the railroads have been the most powerful interest group in this country. They get their way far too often. The railroads do, Wall Street does, drug companies do, oil companies do, and occasionally government stands up to them. And when, when I became chair of the Banking Housing Committee and and increase the influence I can have here, the things I've been fighting for. The pension bill took years to get. The child tax credit took years to get. Um, limiting the cost of drugs took years to accomplish. We're not there yet. They've got to fight this stuff in court. And you know the drug companies have great lawyers, some of them making $1,000 an hour, literally, um, fighting these drug, fighting for the drug companies. And it's worth the drug companies. It's worth paying that much for lawyers because they'll 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 make billions of dollars if they win these cases. Yeah, but yeah. Um, we fight back, and and we're going to win some of it. it. It's following the money here, and I believe the pharmaceutical industry yeah. has more lobbyists than any industry on the planet. So you, that's exactly why this is happening. That's right. One more here before we go. Uh, you know, teachers are back in school. Well, some of them, depending on how hot it is in their classroom, but it is getting a little bit better. But I see you're introducing a tax cut for teachers to help cover their out-of-pocket expenses. A lot of teachers have to take money out of their own wallets because the schools can't supply what's needed. But there's uh, some legislation that would alleviate this? Yeah, it will help. It doesn't alleviate it. Um, Teacher, I think if you don't have a teacher in your family or as a good friend or you don't talk to teachers much, you don't think about this. But uh, most teachers spend money out of pocket for school supplies, for the kids, for the classrooms. Uh, They can deduct $250 off their federal income tax and presumably their state tax, too, because of that. Um, But they're spending more than that. So we're we're essentially quadrupling the tax break for them to $1,000 and then tying it to cost of living inflation adjustments. So this isn't going to mean that we're still paying. We still underpay teachers in this country. We still have a legislature would rather give tax cuts to rich people and and then 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 put more money into education. We 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 pay a price when we don't fund schools well enough and teachers aren't paid well enough. But this is this is a small step that we can do uh, bipartisan in the House. Don't have bipartisan support in the Senate yet, but we will. Very good. Senator, I know you got to go. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And uh, we'll talk oh, wait, uh, in the next month or so. This. Okay, bye. Thanks, buddy. See ya. Once again, Senator Sharon Brown joining us from Washington. All right, we're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, we're going to check in with the food and commercial workers. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at afge.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. 
Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at voidwaterson.com. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at IFPTE.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Real simple, 8WF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to line number two right now and welcome to the show. And I hope I pronounce his name correctly. Adam Mola Oyafeso. And he's with the Food and Commercial Workers International Union. Serves as International Vice President and Director of their cannabis division, and he serves as legislative and political action department director. Adam Mola, did I pronounce your name correctly, sir? You did, and thank you so much for having me. You pronounced it very well. Good, good, good. Thank you for joining uh, America's Workforce. Yeah, I want to get into the uh, the cannabis industry, and I had some numbers on that. This is a booming industry, but what really impressed me when I was reading your bio is your uh, legislative connections, political action. We talk about this on the show. You know, elections matter if you get the right people. And a perfect example is the Biden administration. I mean, here's the guy that's not afraid to say the word union. And we're seeing good, good uh, rulings coming out of Washington with regard to the National Labor Relations Board. We're seeing good policy. We're seeing union jobs and all that. So, uh, how long have you been involved in that sector? Because you're obviously making a difference. This is pretty important to you, right? It's so important to me. You know, I, I grew up in New York, which is a union town, but I've been involved in labor for nearly 20 years um, in the legislative space and the organizing space. You know, started out many years ago in with New York with the Transit Workers Union. Then I left there to come to the UFCW. 
first in New York, and now I'm in D.C. with running the political and legislative operation and the cannabis organizing division. That's fantastic. So where are we with uh, cannabis organizing? I I know it's an industry that's really uh, taken off here, uh, and the food and commercial workers are involved right in the middle of that. So can you speak to that? Let's start off with that. Go ahead. Yes, like... UFCW has been involved in cannabis since the beginning. You know, when it started out in Colorado, California, we were there. So we've been there for decades. But as it's moved forward and become aggressively pushed for um, legalization, we've been at every single state as they've moved from medical to recreational. And our goal legislatively is to make sure um, people are having the conversation about the workforce because you know a lot of folks talk about equity in cannabis and making sure that it's no longer criminalized but the thing everyone keeps forgetting is the reason people were jailed for selling cannabis because they needed to make a living Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it was the hobby. And now you're legalizing it. And what a lot of people want to do is just legalize it the same way we've done everything else. Let's figure out a way to make a small class of very rich people and the people that are doing the growing and the selling make crappy jobs. We had a wholly legal market where people wanted to make more money. You know, dreams of whether it was being a quote unquote kingpin or just being able to own a home. So yeah. UFCW has been at the forefront, making sure that these jobs aren't minimum wage jobs. Wait, you, you hit it right on the head there. <laughs> crappy jobs. There's a lot of crappy jobs yeah. out there. There's a lot of jobs yeah. and a lot of jobs are crappy jobs. When you, when, you, when you talk about that, are we talking just minimum wage then or slightly above it? Um, when you talk about the crappy jobs, like depending on the state, it's minimum wage. You have some states in the deep south that want to classify every single part of a marijuana uh, marijuana drug, cannabis um, job, as agriculture so that they can avoid the same rules. So I'm talking about the growing. So there's the growing that can happen indoors or outdoors, and then the manufacturing piece in it. And they want to label it all so that they can skimp on wages and worker protections. So you said it earlier, politic elections matter and politics happen in states where we have good governors, good legislators, and you're able to make as many of these jobs union jobs and you're able to make sure the workers have all the safety protections and that's mm-hmm. what ufcw has been fighting for yeah could you talk to us about some of the wins that you are able to accomplish i mean you got a powerful organization here legislative and political action department and i read earlier that you won 67 percent of all the races that you targeted last year so you're winning the races you're getting the right people there what about Union campaigns, are, are you winning those as well? Yes, we are winning those as well. Um, you know, so you have the, in, we're, I'll speak now, we're on a big campaign out in Nevada trying to make sure they've legalized it. You don't have all the protections of labor peace agreements in Nevada, but you have a workforce that companies are already trying to exploit. So we've been on a campaign, we just won uh, organizing victory at MedMen, and it's right off of the strip in Las Vegas. We're targeting a lot of employers out there. We have an organizing campaign in Utah that we just won, and 
the thing around this, around the whole, and in California, our locals in California are going crazy. We have a statewide campaign to make sure that we're organizing all of this. And constantly we've been getting, seeing wins around it. In New York, uh, you're giving me the opportunity to just talk about the great work our folks are doing. In New York, in the medical field of cannabis, we have nine out of the 10 employers under contract, and we'll have the 10 probably in the next few weeks. And on the recreational side, as they're opening up, the majority of employers have signed labor peace agreements with our UFCW local there. And the workers already see the benefit because it's the union difference. Everyone talks about the union difference. The Mm -hmm. union difference for us has been making sure workers, when they start, they have a retirement plan and they're not making minimum wage. Even though New York minimum wage is above $15 an hour, but we're going above that. We want them to be $25 an hour jobs, you know, at retail. So it's the difference between McDonald's and a cannabis job. And that's when you walk in the door. We want to make sure people are actually making real money across the board. And, you know, elections matter. New York, I talk about New York because that was my first cannabis legislation, um, the medical field. It's you had a good, you had a trifecta of electeds who wanted to make sure these jobs were good, that there was equity. So they put into it labor peace agreements. So that all these employers had to sign one with a union. That was us. And it helped these workers. So it kept employers from being able to do the traditional, and I know you've heard this, the anti-union where they bring in the union consultant. Oh, my God, the union's bad. They just want to take your money. And once the first few started and workers saw what the union could do for them, word of mouth spreads. Yeah. And they understand we're here for them. And even the employers saw the benefit, you know, it's, oh, okay, wait, I can roll into the union's health care plan. I can do all of these things that administratively make my life easier. Yeah, yeah. And you got happy workers to boot, you know? Yes. That's what you want. That's what you want. You want a happy workforce. You know, uh, so you're organizing in the medical marijuana field as well as recreational marijuana. I just want to call your attention. There is an issue on the ballot in the state of Ohio. This is where we record the show out of Cleveland, Ohio. And that's coming up in November. So do you get involved in some of those campaigns? Obviously, there's some good fertile ground there for organizing should that happen, right? Yes. So we've been involved in the medical organizing in Ohio, and we have been paying attention to the ballot measure in Ohio. And, you know, I'm set like while I'm happy for legalization to come about, the ballot measure in Ohio is sometimes a little concerning. If, you know, when you look at the details, the details of it, the industry put this forward. And the industry put it forward for just the basic blanket legalization. Don't worry about worker safety. Don't worry about job quality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that's the traditional. They want to create the traditional jobs. You know, sure. we are already on the ground talking to workers who work in the medical to say your medical job shouldn't be this. And, you know, if it's successful, we'll be able to make sure that we'll be there for the workers to help them organize. But. Um, but it's not something we're pushing for. That ballot measure is not something we're pushing for right now. 
Well, Adamola, thanks for uh, clarifying that. I appreciate that. Adamola Oyafeso is joining us on our live line today. He is with the Food and Commercial Workers. National website, ufcw.org, serves as international vice president and director of their cannabis division. We'll talk more with him about the Safe Banking Act. We'll get into that later in the show. We're going to check in with Andrew Strom on behalf of what's happening at the National Labor Relations Board. Good news for workers. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. You cannot change the business model as much as it has changed and not expect the contract to change too. It's crazy. If we don't stand tall right now, we are all going to be in trouble. We are all going to be replaced by machines. So the jig is up, AMPTP. You have to wake up and smell the coffee. Let's go. You share the wealth because you cannot exist without us. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce radio and podcast. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate 
those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. We're speaking with Adamola Oyefeso on our live line today, one of three guests, and he serves as International Vice President and Director of the Cannabis Division of the Food and Commercial Workers, and he's also Director of their Legislative and Political Action Department, and they're doing a really, really good job in that regard. 67%, I still can't get over this figure, 67% of all the races targeted in 2022, they won. They won. So obviously they're doing the right thing. So there's another issue you wanted to talk about on the show today, the Safe Banking Act. This is interesting. Can you tell me what this is all about, Adam Ola? So we all know cannabis is illegal in a lot of states, but it's federally illegal. So a lot of can well, just about all cannabis business run on a cash-only basis. So that means workers are carrying around cash to deposit it. They're receiving large quantities of cash every day. What? Because banks can't use the banks can't process cash coming in from a cannabis industry because it's federally illegal. So what the Safe Banking Act would do would adjust the regulations so that credit card companies can actually start processing cannabis payments. I know some people will say, well, in my state, I've used my credit card. I'm not going to get into that because in some cases you probably shouldn't be unless they're going to a state bank. Right. But, yeah. But what this bill would do would make it easier and safer for these banks to process the money and for workers to be able to not have to worry about being robbed. Because right now we have members across the country who operate a cash business. And you've seen it where you've heard their stories of workers being robbed because someone's like, oh, I've seen the business, I've watched the foot traffic, I know you have a lot of cash. And so there's a safety aspect to it. It's like no piece of legislation's perfect. You know, it'll go through an amendment process to make it better. But I think the country has to understand that if you're keeping this cash, cash is easier to process with other illegal we gained money. Mm-hmm. But when you do it as credit card, you can adjust, you can keep track of what is going on. And w- the way it also affects workers is you can't, pro- in some states, in some businesses, because they're just using it all cash and they're not doing state banking, it's harder to process workers' taxes. So then the liability becomes on the worker. Mm-hmm. It's hard to make sure, you know, to keep on-time payments with benefits. We've seen good employers who were just, they're dealing with cash business, so they're moving banks regularly because the bank says, oh, wait, your canvas was shutting your account down. And we have to make sure our members are able to get paid on time. We have yeah. to make sure that their benefits are covered on time. So that's the big, for UFCW, that's the big piece of the safe banking bill. For the industry as a whole, Safe banking will also allow outside investment to be easily done. And, you know, I always tell folks, we're a labor union. Our number one priority is our members, our workers in general, all workers making sure that they live a good life. Our second priority is making sure that the businesses that they work for can stay alive so that they can pay them well and Mm -hmm. give them good benefits. So, you know, safe banking will also help stabilize the industry to make sure that they survive and that they're paying their workers well, they're paying our members well, they're giving good benefits. So there is the, for the whole nation, there's a benefit to the safe banking bill. 
you'll get a lot of people, you know, opponents have said, oh, it allows money laundering. Right. We've all looked at that and said, it doesn't really. Like, you know, it doesn't any more than what money laundering already goes on. But when you have a big cash business, it's easier to mix truly legal cash into the stable business, into a legalized business. Because if I'm running a legal cannabis shop in California, I'm collecting thousands of dollars of cash every day. If uh, some unscrupulous person wants to mix in illegal cash and then try to deposit in a state bank, you can't tell the difference. But if you're processing credit card payments, there are methods to keep track of that. And we're hoping that the Senate moves on it. Um, you know, I think the in this crazy um, fighting era in Congress, I you know I have hope. But I think the Biden administration has been doing the right thing with descheduling cannabis to a Schedule Three, which would be beneficial. It doesn't do the full job that safe banking would do, but it takes it a step further so that banking can start happening on a limited level. So that'll help the whole industry. You know, our concern, as I've said, is the workers. And one of the things that's been going on in the cannabis industry is in the West and in um, the Midwest, you've had a lot of undocumented workers working at cannabis facilities. And we all know when undocumented workers are there or any workers in general, worker abuse happens. And so we go into organizing campaigns and we find them and we want to report it. But what's happened is that these workers are scared. Cannabis is federally illegal. They, if they go report officially to the government, when they're scared of what happens to them when they file for any sort of permanent status or temporary status, so they don't want to report worker, work abuses. And so as the administration is looking to deschedule, you know, the concern for UFCW is making sure that all of their work remembers workers. Like, don't change anything if you haven't thought about the worker angle. You need to make sure you're protecting these workers with the ability so that they can report unsafe conditions and no action will be taken against them. The Department of Labor has been great. They worked out deferred action for any undocumented workers in any regular industry. We want to make sure that when they get to cannabis, they're making sure that these workers have the ability to defer action because there was a case in Oregon where workers were locked in a facility, a grow facility, overnight, repeatedly, to make sure that no one left, no one stole anything. But it endangered their lives. In California, it happens regularly where workers are not paid or they lose body parts because of unsafe conditions, but they don't feel they have a right to recourse. So, you know, safe banking is important. Descheduling is important. But, you know, we're a union. We think of everything through the worker aspect. And you can't do any of it without worrying about what happens to the workers. So that's the part in all the cannabis banking, um, financial stuff that we keep coming back to. Workers first. We always talk about that always. on the show. Yeah, so important. Okay, where are we with the Safe Banking Act? How far has it gone in the Senate? So in the Senate, there was a hearing. Um, UFCW testified it. It was in front of um, the Banking Committee. Senator Brown chairs that. Uh, and we, they're going through some 
amendment process should start soon, and we're hoping that we can get a Senate vote before, you know, 2024, and then it'll kick it back to the Senate. I know the House has passed it repeatedly when it was under the Democratic control. We think that there's a group of bipartisan Senator, I mean, House members, Congress members, who would push it forward if the Senate acts. So, you know, I think the whole industry and UFCW are looking for the Senate to move on it. You know, Senator Brown is the great senator from Ohio. Uh, you know, we're confident that he's taking a thoughtful look at it and hopeful that something will happen soon. Well, next time we have him on the show, we'll talk to him about that. Well, you got our full support here, Adam Ola. Adam Ola Oyefeso joining us on our live line today. He's with the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union, UFCW.org, serving as International Vice President and Director of the Cannabis Division. Definitely keep our eye on the uh, Safe Banking Act. The Safe Banking Act will make a big difference for workers. Well, I thank you so much for joining us today. Let's keep in touch. I really enjoyed the conversation today. Okay, sir? Uh, Thank you for having me. This was great. Really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, anytime. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with Andrew Strom, a labor union attorney. He actually works with the Service Employees International Union, also a contributor to the On Labor blog, talking about what happened at the NLRB last month for workers. Good stuff. Back in a few minutes to talk all about it. This is America's Workforce. It takes LIUNA to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. 
The Iron Workers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylights and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. Hey, this is Sean McGarvey, and I'm president of North America's Building Trades Unions, and I'm a proud lesser of America's Workforce. I love this podcast. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be a WF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to line number three right now. And joining us is Andrew Strom, who's a labor union attorney. He works for the Service Employees International Union and is a contributor to the On Labor blog. We've had him on the show a number of times. And he's here to talk about some uh, really good decisions on behalf of the National Labor Relations Board. August was a boom for workers, no doubt about that. Andrew, thanks for joining us. I don't know how many we could get into today, but uh, let's start off with the most significant decision. And the case, I understand, is Semex. I'll let you pick it up from there, brother. Go ahead. Sure thing. So the Semex decision really has the potential to be a game changer. And what that decision was about is this employer... Um, you know, faced with a union election, ran just a classic anti-union campaign, you know, sort of pulling out all stops, threatening workers that they were going to close down that portion of their business if the workers organized, threatening workers that they'd be fired, stopping workers from wearing union stickers on their hats, all kinds of sort of flagrantly illegal acts. And, you know, not surprisingly, after that kind of an intense anti-illegal campaign, the workers voted by a narrow margin against unionization. It was uh, 179 to 166. And in sort of past years, what would have happened is the NLRB would have said, okay, we're going to rerun the election. That would have been the only real remedy for the workers is, well, you can try again, but, you know, the company's already done the damage. They've already made their threats. The threats don't go away. People know them and they're in their heads. And, you know, that would have been how it goes. In Semex, what the MRB said is, if the, if the union has a majority at the time they file for an election and the, the employer has a right, I mean, right is maybe not the right word, but the employer can say, I want to see, you know, you have to, well, you have to win an election. I don't have, the employer doesn't have to recognize them. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a, maybe a flaw in the law, but, We'll leave that aside for the moment. But 
the employer is allowed to say, okay, you know, you can have an election. But what they can't do is they can't use the excuse of an election to run an illegal campaign. And so what the NLRB said here is that if during the course of the run-up to the election, uh, the employer engages in illegally anti-union activities, which they almost always do, uh, then what we're going to do is we're going to issue a bargaining order. And we're going to issue a bargaining order because the employer can't just buy time by doing this, which is what's always happened in the past. And in fact, in the past, there was a Supreme Court case called Gissel from the late 60s, where the Supreme Court said, well, in some cases, the, the board can issue a bargaining order. But under that prior decision, they could only issue a bargaining order if they could, it, uh, the standard was, well, can you run an election in the future that, um, you know, sort of, so three years from now, when, the, you know, when all the appeals are exhausted, you know, is it possible to run a fair election? And the courts of appeals have always said, well, yeah, there's been turnover and people have left and people don't necessarily remember. So it was just this crazy incentive for employers to delay and delay and delay because the longer they delayed, the more likely the courts would say, oh, now you can have a fair election. (laughs) And there's no remedy at all for the three years that the workers had to wait to have that new election. So this really is a game changer because this is saying, no, the bargaining order is retroactive to the day of the election. And so, you know, you can exhaust your appeals if you want, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to, um, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to bargain with the union. So the company's interference screwed this whole thing up. And you mentioned that if they have a majority vote before, before the, the they do the right. anti and the captive audience meetings and all that, yeah, is so, that a, is I mean, that a is that a solid majority or is it a majority of one? What what's the answer? A, to yeah, that? no, it could be a majority of one. Uh, it could be a majority. I mean, I I mean that's really going to be in a, a little bit of a wrinkle because the employers are going to be able to challenge, you know, you know, sort of litigate that question of is it a majority? But any majority counts. I mean, it's they. As they say in baseball, they all look like line drives in the box score. You know, know, or or we see that in our own elections, right? You know, in in the political elections, right? People win by, you know, very narrow majorities and then Uh say, you know, or, you know, say, well, I'm the winner. And so, so yeah, so, but I mean, that is, I mean, you know, because sometimes unions, you know, under law, under the law, you can file for an election uh, with only 30% support. Uh, I mean, that's not usually considered a good practice among union organizers. Sure. But, uh, but that's, po- so it's, so it's not automatic that if you, if a union files for an election, that they are going to get a bargaining order because they will have to show that they had the majority at the time they filed for the election. Yeah. But, you know, with that guideline, most unions, I think will do that. There's a lot of stories that I've covered over the years where the workers had a clear majority. It was, in some cases, 70 75% going into the election. And then here comes the captive audience meetings, the intimidation, the threats. You know the drill. And yeah, then all and of I a think, sudden, 
Yeah, they lose the election then. And people who haven't lived through it, I think, just can't fully, you know, uh, appreciate just that, that power of, you know, somebody who has control over your livelihood and, you know, telling you this and just the intensity of those campaigns and the repetition and the, and the scare tactics. And, you know, and the unfortunate thing, I think, is that so many people uh, in this country don't have firsthand experience or family members who have experience or even friends who have experience in unions. So when the, when the boss, you know, makes up all kinds of stuff about what it's going to be like if you have a union, you know, people aren't 100% sure that that's a lie because they just don't have the frame of reference. They don't have, you know, mm-hmm. the friends and family who can say, you know, I've been there, I've done that, you know, that's all nonsense. Yeah. Well, we all know if you keep repeating a lie, people are going to believe it's true. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're we're seeing that right now in our political <laughs> you know, or, landscape. <laughs> right. Or even if they don't believe it, right? I mean, it's, it really is about fear, right? It's like this is, you know, it's uncharted territory for people. And so all you have to do is even if people, you know, have some doubts about whether it's the truth or not the truth, right? It's just like, well, do I want to do this thing which is different um, you know, which is scary because it's different. And then boss is telling me all kinds of horrible things and scaring the hell out of me. And, um, so that's, yeah, it is, it is unfortunately effective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good month for workers last month at the national labor relations board. And there, there's, uh, there's more, there's a couple of uh, Trump board decisions that were reversed and we kind of saw that coming. That uh, might have to go to another show here. We're running a little tight on time. We have okay. a pretty jam-packed show here today. But I really appreciate you coming to the table today. And those of you listening, too, um, there is a uh, – if you go to the national – if you just Google National Labor Relations Board, I, I don't know if it's NLRB.org. NLRB.gov, yeah, NLRB.gov. .gov, okay. If you go there, you can read about this. But it's always good to have an attorney like Andrew to kind of, like, cut through the clutter. But uh, we appreciate what you do here, Andrew, and keep doing what you're doing. Okay, brother? Okay, it's great talking to you. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, we're going to remember 9-11, the 22nd anniversary, and it's the beginning of Suicide Prevention Week. We have an expert in that field. Dr. Sally Spencer-Thomas will be joining us. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.